answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things ever desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and ye shall have them. When you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Notice those two last verses. It's in the 11th chapter of Mark. When you go to pray, forgive if you have anything in your heart against anybody. Because if you do not forgive, neither will he forgive. He's simply saying when you go to pray, if you've got anything in your heart against anybody, get rid of it. If you don't, then you need to pray and you're wasting your breath. Because he ain't going to forgive you. Because if you won't forgive, then he doesn't forgive. You're asking God to do something you won't get, do if you won't forgive. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this message we've heard. Thank you for saving this dear man and calling him to preach and give him the wisdom to preach like he preaches. It'd be a great blessing if we had men like him scattered all over America tonight, preaching like he preaches, the truths that he declares. Thank you that you let him come along to preach to us this week. He always does something to us and for us when we hear him. Thank you that you sent him to this church to bless them. Keep him well and healthy. Keep him full of your spirit. Loose him to go everywhere he can go. Help his church to be willing to share him with this nation that needs him so bad. We thank thee the trade truths that he give us tonight which are so much needed. God bless him for it. Come now, Father, for this final message tonight. Take thy servant and loose his tongue and illuminate his mind and give us holy unction. We pray thy blessings on this church and the churches represented, and the pastors that are here and the preachers that are here, the leaders of the churches. We pray for our brother Bennett that you'll bless him especially and his dear people that are working so faithful and so untiring to carry this work on. God bless them. And we pray that you'll do something for all of us for this week is past. For Jesus' sake, amen. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. The reason Jesus is saying this, the disciples just, just experienced something. Jesus has come in and the men uh, had gone in and was making, selling doves and making a money changing place out of the house of God. And he makes a lash and whips their backs and turns over the table and said, get out of here. And they all got from there. And they observed it. Nobody fought back at Jesus because they meant to get from there. And then he come along and looked on the fig tree and there's no fruit and he cursed it and it withered away and they beheld held that. And they marveled that the enemies of Christ moved out so fast and easy when he commanded them to do so. 
They marveled at the fig tree soon withered away when he cursed it because there's no fruit on it. And Jesus just simply saying he knew that is in their minds. And Jesus said, have faith in God. And you can say to the mountains, be thou removed. And if you won't doubt in your heart, what you say will come to pass. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. If you have faith in God, and as a result, if Jesus came in here tonight, would he drive some of us out because we are not here for the right purpose? Would he have to wither a lot of our lives because we are not bearing any fruit for him? To examine our lives tonight, would he put a curse on us because we're not bearing any fruit? Yet he said in the 15th chapter of John that he chose us. We didn't choose him, but he chose us and added us to the church, anointed us, that we might be bear fruit for him. If he looked at our lives, how many of us would he have to wither tonight because there's no fruit in our lives for him? But the thing I want you to see tonight is that he's simply saying, have faith in God. And that whatsoever you shall say unto this, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast of sea, shall not down his heart, but shall believe those things that he says shall come to pass. He shall what, have whatsoever is said. Therefore I say unto you, what things shall it is are, when you pray, believe you receive them, and ye shall have them. He didn't say have faith in anything else, but have faith in God. Now, if we want a revival, we've got to put our faith in God, not in the preacher, not in the methods, not in something else. We've got to put our faith in God. The first faith we've got to have is that God is a person. Have faith in him as a person. God isn't just a imagination. God isn't some Santa Claus myth, Easter rabbit myth. God isn't just some old long-whiskered white-haired Santa Claus. God isn't some monumental statutory something out in the cemetery of the court square. God is alive. He's a person. He's on the throne in the sense that he reigns and rules. By him and for him was all things created. He sits at the controls of this universe. And he's God. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the superstar. He's God. And we need to have faith that he's a person. You need to see God as a person, somebody that's alive, somebody that has life in him. He's a person by him and for him. All things were created. When you walked across the lawn, coming in, the grass under your feet, he created that grass. There's a thousand different kind of grasses, probably. Bermuda grass, crabgrass, sage grass, all kind of grass. God created that grass. God makes it live after its own kind, and it doesn't mix up out there. Every grass comes after its own kind. God does that. God made flowers to bloom in Alaska. We think of it as snow and ice and Eskimos and dogs and slaves, but in Alaska... 1,500 different kind of wildflowers bloom with the same fragrance and the same beauty that they bloom here in this country. God made those flowers to bloom there in that country with the fragrance and beauty that they bloom here in the state of Oklahoma. 1,161 different kind of wildflowers bloom there with fragrance and beauty. God made them bloom there. He's the one that created those flowers, makes them bloom, puts the perfume in them, and they don't mix up, they grow like God put them there to grow. God got to making butterflies. And he made out 8,000 different kind of butterflies, spot ones, brown ones, white ones, yellow ones, black ones, all kinds. And they're there. God made over 200,000 different kind of beetles, like bean beetles that eat up the beans and so on. And they're out there. 
and then the moths, 200,000 different kind of moths that fly around the lights at night. God made all those little creatures. I'm not trying to get your mind off on bugs. I'm telling you, God, my Father is alive. That's what I'm telling you tonight. He's alive. He's my Father, but He can do all those things. God made 8,000 kind of different bees, honeybees, bumblebees, yellow jacket bees, all kind of bees. God made a, uh, over 20,000 different kinds of birds, blackbirds, redbirds, jaybirds, dovebirds, quailbirds, over 20,000 different kinds. And the redbirds and the bluebirds don't ever mix up. They come out all the time and they live together, but they don't mix up together. And all the birds that God created, there's a lot of, there's a humming, hummingbird, little old bird about as big as your little finger, and he goes out here and flies up to a flower, got a long beak, and he sticks his beak in there and gets the neck down that flower, and his reverse gear is fast as his far gear. Matter of fact, as soon as he gets the neck, he's gone. 500 different species of hummingbirds. I know a lot of Baptists, hummingbird Baptists. They go to church and get a little blessing, and they're gone. God made the mockingbird. She has 20,000 different tunes in her throat. She don't have a song of her own but she can mock 20,000 different kind of birds. Think of it. One little bird with 20,000 different tunes in her own throat. That's the reason she sings all day and all night in the tops of the trees. She don't ever catch up. <laughs> but God put that in there. If God put that kind of uh, tunes in a bird's throat, he can surely bless enough to fill up that choir and make them sing for the glory of God and that Jesus is tenderly calling, old sinner, come home and have a revival out of you. If we get to singing like the monk and birds, I mean they'd be coming. And God give you vocal cords you can sing if you dedicate them to God. That's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to get your mind off on birds and bees and grass and stuff like that, but I want you to see God as a person that does things and continues to do it. See, he's alive. He does things. He never gets mixed up. It's all there. Then God does making fish, catfish, bass fish, crappie fish, drum fish, all kind of fish, 20,000 different kind of fish. He makes an electric fish, and I'm not talking about the electric eel that you catch in the local Fresh streams, but electric fish looks like a blue catfish. And he can discharge enough electricity from his body to knock a man out a hundred feet away in the water. If you catch him, he don't like it, he just knocks you out. I don't catch one of them. I've seen them. Innocent fish. Well, if God can take a fish and give him an electric generating dynamo that he can knock you out a hundred feet away in the water, God can charge a man up with his spirit enough to touch folks a hundred miles away maybe. You say, hey, preacher, come back with that. All right, when Charles G. Finney was full of God, he'd march into a restaurant and the waiters would get on a conviction, the cooks would get on a conviction, the customers would get on a conviction, and old Charles Finney walked into a factory and they'd have to close the factory down because the workers would get on a conviction and he'd walk down the street and houses of prostitution would close and the folks would run out in the street and fall on their knees begging for mercy. Why? Charles G. Finney was so charged with the power of God that when he walked through a community, it shook it for God. And we needed another revival like that. And old Gunner from Edward, when he got up and preached, who's so charged with God, my friends, that folks held to the back of the seats crying that God wouldn't let them go to hell till they get saved. We need another ride by the same God. Have faith in God. Edwards had faith in God. Finney had faith in God. He's the same God today that he was then. He's a person. If he put that power on Finney, if he puts that power on Jonathan Edwards, he can put that power on Steve Bennett and the rest of us and shake this town for God. Glory. 
Have faith in God, not in some of us preachers, but have it in God. That's what I'm saying. That's a producer revival. And then, we, my friends, God, you just think about what a great God he is. He's my father. He's your father. But at the same time, he's God. He sits in the control of this universe. Two, no telling how many million, billion heavenly bodies are floating down at a speed that your mind can't even imagine how fast it's floating through space. And yet they don't have collision. We can't drive down the street without colliding with one another. And all of those millions of heavenly bodies go on a tremendous speed out in space, and yet he controls all of them, and they don't crash with each other. My friend said, that, that's my father. He's sitting the control. If he can control all of that, then he can control all the people down here. If he talks an ocean, he can do it. He's got the power. He had power to send a flood that had covered the whole earth at one time. He had power to send far down, burn a whole city up. He has power to do what he wants to. He's the personal God. God, my friends, can do those things and handle those big things, and yet God is so technically skillful. I read uh, recently where they discovered a little bug. He's so little that you can put a hundred of them in a drop of clear water and can't see them with a natural eye. And yet they got a hundred stomachs and 32 feet. This lives 12 hours and White Street come down the back and split them in two and there's two bugs and a hundred stomachs and 32 feet. <laughs> see how God, good God's been to you? What if your family applied that first? Your kids had 32 feet and 100 stones can't feed up the one they do have. And see, but if God is so technical, skillful, he can put 100 stomachs in some of that little and put 32 feet on it and then 12 hours, multiply two and that and split and 12 more hours and it's four and so on. How much more can God start a revival and divide us out and send us out and shake a town, and shake a community, and shake a nation. I'm talking about having faith in God, the person of God. He isn't dead. He isn't some Santa Claus myth. He isn't some Easter rabbit story. He's God. He's my Father and your Father. If you're saved, and he teaches us to come to him, nobody can keep him. He's my Father. I have a right in there. Nobody can keep me out from him. And if you're saved, nobody can keep you from getting out there and talking to him. Go talk to your father. Have faith in him. He said he can move the mountains. He said if you've got faith and you won't doubt, he'll do it. Have faith in the person of God. And I want you to know, my friends, before God, have God help you to do it. And then we have faith in the power of God. God's all got all power in heaven and earth. My father's the one that had power to create this earth. Like Brother Butler said, he spoke her into existence. He's got all power by him and for him. Was it all created? He controls it all. He's got power to stop the storms on the sea. He got power to cure all the diseases. He got power to conquer the devils. He got power uh, to raise the dead. He got power to make a cripple throw away the crutches. He got all power to make the blind to see. Have faith in the power of God. You never saw him start doing things. He didn't power the power to do it. That's your father. That's my father. Have faith in the power of God, your father. You can't think of anything. You can't name it, honey. That you... Just name it, name it, name it. Not a thing you can name that he hadn't got power over. He has more power over it than anybody else or anything else. So our Father's got all the power. He sits in the controls of the universe. He can create anything he wants to and use it for his glory. And he's got all the power. Nobody, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Have faith in the power of God. And then we need to have faith in the presence of God. 
presence of God. Listen, he said, we're two or more. We'll meet in my name. I'll be there in the midst. Presence of God. He said he'd be there. And the presence of God. Two or more people meet in my name. I'll be in the midst. Well, God can't lie. He's God. And if many two of us, two or three of us meet, he's going to be there. What's he there for? What's he there for? He's there for three things. He said, I've chosen this place as a house of sacrifice, and I, eyes will be upon the place, I ears will be attending to the prayers made in this place, and my heart will be there perpetually. I tell you what he's here for. Our Father, my God and your God, is here looking for a sacrifice. You ever bring him anything? The reason a lot of you drag in on Sunday, you hadn't brought God anything. If you realize I got something I want to bring God, you'd be so proud to get here to bring. But you don't bring God anything, and it's hard to get up and get here because you're not bringing anything. But he's looking for you. Bring him some, some praise, some tithe, some offering, some talent, some gift or something. God's looking for you to bring him something when you, when you come. He's here looking for something. And if you realize God's here, it isn't going to be hard for you to get here. And when you go home and say God is there, the folks are going to come to see if they can meet him. See if they can see him. Well, you see, preacher, well, you can see, you can bring him some. I'd bring him some. I realized one time I was down to Tampa, Florida. And I was in a church and it hadn't had a grunt of any kind. Not a tear, not an even a smile. It was the deadest four o'clock in the morning. I'd preached a week and couldn't get anything. And on Sunday morning's the last service. And hadn't had a grunt out of anybody. And I'd prayed all night, cried for God to do something. Got there on Sunday morning. He said, get up, son, and ask for a tear offering. Did you ever hear of a tear offering? I said, oh, Lord, I hadn't seen a tear shed since I've been here. Where could I get a tear offering? I don't feel like you shedding one, and I know they can't. <laughs> and I sat there and argued with him, and the program went on. After a while, the young lady got up to sing the last song they was going to sing, and I was going to preach. She introduced her, and God said, if you let her sing it out, call them that often, you need to get up to preach because I ain't going to let you. I jumped up and I said, pardon me, sister. Wait just a minute. I said, God wants somebody to come down here and offer a tear offering for you saying. If anybody's got a tear, a tear that you can shed for the glory of God, come down here and shed it. And I hadn't much more than shed it till they come as crying all over the house and run down there and they shed tears all over the altar. And folks got saved by the throngs that morning. God is waiting for a tear offering. But I didn't have sense enough to know it. That's the only time he ever asked for one. And that's the only time I ever called for one. But it worked that morning. He's looking. Man, God is there listening for a prayer. He's here. If you haven't got him anything, then come here and get out and pray because he's come to listen for your prayers. You children of God, he's listening for you to pray. If you haven't got any sacrifice, then come up here and get out and pray. He's listening for you to pray. Hey, hey, hey. His ears down here listening for prayers. He wants to hear some of his children talk to him. Are you coming to talk to him or not? You'll have a revival if you talk to him. You'll have a revival if you give him something. And he said, I'll be there with my heart to be touched with your infirmities. All your infirmities, you'll touch God's heart. His heart's here. His ears is here. 
His eyes is here. What do you want more to have a revival? Talking about a revival, what else you need? God's ears is here. God's heart's here. God's eyes is here. That ought to stir us all up. Friend, God wants you to be in his presence. You say, well, I was there. I didn't feel God. I didn't see God. You know why you didn't? You somewhere else. Oh, you say, I was right there. Your carcass was, but you're somewhere else. Like a friend of mine was preaching one morning, his deacon sitting on the front seat, and he jumped out and said, what are you thinking about, deacon? He said, corn. <laughs> his mind wasn't on the sermon. He's in the cornfield. Too many of us got a mind out yonder. And that's the reason we don't recognize the presence of God, and that's the reason we don't have a revival, because our mind's on the television program. Our mind's on the dinner that's going to burn if we don't get out. Our mind's on a ball game we're not going to get on time to see. Our mind's on the fact I'm going to be late at Uncle, uh, Uncle Bill and Aunt Susie's birthday dinner and this thing and that thing, and we'd rather not have a revival because it'll mess up our little nasty plans. Don't want the presence of God. My friends, if you have faith that God is a person and have faith in the presence of God, and believe that he's there and the power of God and then not only the presence of God and now the power of God but have faith in the promises of God. God promises something. I didn't make them. He made them. Where two or more will agree is touching anything on earth, it'll be done in him. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and ye shall have them. God has answered prayer because he said he would. Just look down through the Bible right quick. God has made good his promise. Hagar was sent from home, her son, and she started out, run out of water. She laid the little fellow down under some moves shrubbery and got out here and got down to pray. Got to crying and praying. And an angel stood by Hagar. He said, what are you crying about? Oh, out of water and food, my little boy's going to die. Angel said, no, there's some water. Get up and water him. God's heard his cry and heard yours, and there's water. Now, some of you give up your youngins to die and go to hell. You don't have to. You get out and pray to the same God that Hagar prayed to, and he'll show them the water of life and water them with that water of life to where they won't ever thirst again. Same God. He hasn't changed. And as a result of it, my friends, Hannah, she prayed for a child. The doctor said she couldn't have one. Medical science said she's beyond that stage. Everything else in nature said she couldn't have a child. Old Hannah went down to the house of God and got down there and got to praying and a praying for a child. They'd got to give her a child. Her husband went down there and said, Hannah, you've prayed long enough. Go home. You're going to have a nervous breakdown, honey. Come on, let's go home. She just kept praying. Now, Hannah, you need to come home and rest, honey. You prayed... And everybody's talking about you now. Sitting down here. Come on, honey. And she wouldn't come. Her husband went out and said to the priest, go down there and get my wife out. Send her home. She's going to have a nervous breakdown. Talk to the community now about her staying down there crying, taking on, trying to pray for a baby, and she can't have one. Everybody knows she's been that uh, too far gone for a baby. And the priest went out there and said, Honey, Hannah, listen, your husband is upset. He's nervous. And the community is gossiping about you staying down here. 
They all know God understands you can't have a baby. Don't you understand God understands? Why don't you get up and go on home and ease the condition of your husband and stop the gossip in the community? You just keep a praying. She just keeps a praying. And the priest said, I will stop you. And he goes and gets him some tape and tapes up her mouth. That didn't stop her. She prayed in the house. She wasn't praying out of the tape. She prayed out of her heart. God dunged her and said, that's all right, Hannah. You can go now. You'll have one. And she had one. Same God Hannah prayed to still on the throne. And he'll still hear and answer. I've seen him do it. I was up in South Carolina three years ago. The pastor come and said, I got one of the most precious couples I've ever known. They've been married seven years and can't have a child. And they believe you pray with them, they'll have one. They come to me and the couple went and we went in the pastor's study, locked the doors so there'd be no interference and we just pray as long as we wanted to without any interference. And I said, your tithers? said, yeah, we tithe everything. We give 20% as a matter of fact. I said, okay, your lives clean. Best we know, we lead clean lives. A church every time doors open. I said, okay. Got on there and got to praying. And God's spirit got on me and got on them. And God answered. And I said, that's all right. You'll have a child. And we walked out of that office. And about 12 months later, phone rang, said, guess what? I said, a little boy said, that's it. He's here. That's what I expected. God answers prayer. He said he would. Have faith in God. God can give you your children for a revival if you have faith. Just don't quit. Just don't back up. Just don't let folks say you're overdoing it. Just don't look. let the gossip of the community stop you and embarrass you. Just keep praying. God's got the power to do it. And then old Hezekiah prayed. He said, set thine house in order, for ye shall die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. And what God do? He added 15 years to his life because he prayed. Prayer changes things. And it's the same God. And he can change the things around here too. If you pray, he'll change things. Now I want you to realize I'm talking to you about your father tonight. And then my friends old Elijah prayed to God that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three years. God closed up the sky. Not a drop of rain. The crops dried up. The animals died. And the enemy said we ought to kill that old man. One of them said, no, don't kill him. You do. It never will rain. He's got the key up there. <laughs> then Elijah prayed it would rain after the three years. He sent a man down towards the sea to look, and he come back and said, I don't see anything. He prayed again three times, four times, five times. And that's where you and I would say, well, it didn't the will of God. No need to pray anymore. Elijah said, go back and look again. He prayed again. Come back and said, I don't see anything. Well, go back again. And the fellow come out by, out of us. Elijah, I saw something coming out. I see it looked like a cloud inside, shape of man's hand. Elijah said, hitch up the chat and get ready and get down this hill. Don't wash us away. And before they get the chat ready, that God has seen the rain where there hadn't been a drop for three and a half years. The same God Elijah prayed to still on the throne. And there may be a drought among us Baptists now, but God can send a rain that'll wash us all out of a complacency and make us move in for God. If we'll just keep on praying, you folks who are praying, maybe you've had prayed three weeks, pray four weeks, I don't get it, pray five weeks, pray six weeks, pray seven weeks, pray till you see it coming. I never will forget in my early ministry over in Tennessee. I was called on to be the evangelist 
in a country church. Long as I live, I'll never will forget it. They just had a meeting once a year in that country church. Once a year then. And we was trying to have a meeting that hadn't rained in about 60 days. The road was full of dust. and any gravel on it. Shoot top deep. And all the vegetation died. Creeks is dried up. Animals dying. The wells going dry. And all the members of the church talking about it's a drought. We're all going to lose our cattle and our sheep and our horses. Everything's dying. Our fruit trees, our crops dying. And it's bad time. I was a young preacher. And I'll never forget as long as I live. One night an old man got up. I'll take you back this one afternoon because he didn't have service tonight. They're afraid to. It's too rough in there. He had got long whiskers back when men wore whiskers down to the waist to kept them clean. He got up and stroked his whiskers. Tears running over his cheeks. He said, Brother Pastor, we're trying to have a revival. People's minds on the drought. Naturally so. And they're not going to get in a meeting. And for another meeting next year, some of these folks will die and go to hell. We must have a revival. And I will call you on you and the church to come back here in the morning early. We're going to have a sin confessing day. And when we get all the sins confessed, we're going to pray for a rain. Well, that amazed me. And the pastor said, all right, brother. If you think that's right. said, I don't think it. I know it, brother. said, oh, you'll meet me here in the early in the morning. Next morning, the old deacon come down through the little village, and he had a raincoat on his shoulder and a pair of hip boots. <laughs> Those old fellows sit out on the nail kegs in front and whittle their sticks and spit to the back of juice. Said, oh, Grandpa's worried about the drought. He's lost his mind. Look at that. He's going with a raincoat and boots. Was afraid to tackle him and criticize him. They didn't say anything to him. But a little while, his great-great-granddaughter comes skipping down the street with her raincoat and a pair of boots and an umbrella. They wasn't afraid to talk to her. Say, hey, little girl, you gone crazy with your grandpa? What do you mean, gone crazy? Said, well, both of you can raincoats and boots. And the weather people said there won't be a drop of rain for 30 more days. Here y'all are. She said, you hadn't heard it? Said, what? Said, Grandpa, he's going to church to pray till it rains, and he's not coming back till it rains. And I'm going to stay with him. They all had him big laugh. But the next morning they begin to confess and confess sins and ask God to forgive them. Confess sins and ask God to forgive them. About 11 o'clock they all got confessed up. I never will forget it. The old man got over in the corner of the building. In the corner, front corner by the pulpit. And he squeezed himself up in the corner and buried his face looking upward. And began to pray up that corner. Oh, Lord God, we've confessed our sins and you've forgiven us. And we have to have a revival. Don't a lot of folks are going to go to hell. they got their mind on the drought and they won't get saved. Lord God, send a revival. Send an old gully washing, fence breaking rain down here. Where'd everybody fill up the creeks, fill up the wells, wash gullies across the field. It'll be such a rain. Come on, dear God, please, dear Father, send the rain. And he just squeezed himself in that corner that much tighter. Pray that. And I'd hear them prayers going up that corner, going up the rafter. I was just a young preacher. I could feel chill bumps bumping out on my arms. I'd never heard nothing like that. And I looked and sweat coming through his clothes. He's in there. He's a praying and a sweating and a crying. I looked and tears running down on the other side. And I was sitting back there as a young evangelist 
And I said, what if God don't answer? What'll that old man do if God don't answer him? What the folks going to do if God don't answer them? Because I'd never been around nothing like that. And he got more fervent. And he got hot with it. And it looks like he's going to draw plumb up in that corner. And I could hear those prayers going up the rafters and going down. I heard a rumbling. I slid down a bench and peeped out at the window. <laughs> I seen the blackest cloud coming where there hadn't been a cloud in 60 days. And I sure did have a rig of then. <laughs> little bit the wind started blowing and little bit they come a rain that washed all the hillsides Gullers across the hillsides washed the rail fences down, overflowed the creeks, and he had to wear his hip boots home across the bottom. And old critics had to stop their laughing and acknowledge the old man got a rain before he come home. I never well forgot that, Brother Steve. I learned a lesson if you just get all the sins out of the way and stay there, the Father will hear you after a while. We can have a revival. He's promised it and said two or three of you go and say with it, he'll do it. We can have a revival with enough faith in God that'll shake this whole town to pieces. I've seen him do it. I know what he'll do. Pardon me for two or three references. Four clothes. I was in the place We'd had a great revival. A lot of folks got saved. And an old infidel came to me. Mind you, an infidel. His children had got saved in this meeting. And his dad is an infidel. And his granddad is an infidel. They're all doctors. He's in a little old town. This meeting where his youngins had got saved was out in the country. I was a preaching one night and the house was full. And I was sitting by a window like yet right here and somebody reached through that window punched me I looked around said I want to talk to you I said alright he said I'm Will Webb I'm an infidel my dad is an infidel my granddad is an infidel but I want you to come to our little town and hold a meeting when you get through here said you've done my youngins a lot of good I don't believe in God but they do and I got a few more youngers down there that need it. Will you come? I said, I don't know. Said, why don't you know? I said, I don't know why that church down there let me come. I said, I'll see them. I said, okay, you see them. And if they will, and I'll come. He went down in that church said, no, we're not going to let that wild hooping, hollering person come down there. <laughs> he went to the mess of church and the mess said, no, we wouldn't let him in town, much less our church. And he stirred the old infidel up, and he said, come back and said, you right, they aren't going to let you come. But said, Mr. Ray, I got a big mill down there, and I'll close down the mill, move my machinery back to one corner, and put benches in there, and you'd preach in the mill shed to get the priest down there, won't you? I said, I sure will. Said, well, just make your plans to move on down there. I'll go and close the mill right now. He went down there and closed the mill, put seats in there, and I went down there and went to preaching in the end of, in the mill shed, Hornsby, Tennessee. Crowds got to coming because an infidel had asked a preacher to hold a meeting. I didn't care who asked me. I was getting to preach. And the crowds got bigger. I preached a week, not a move. I went out there to that country church and I said, will y'all come down there and pray till we have a revival? Said, we don't have any way. I said, I'll send an old bus out here and transport you down there and back said, don't have shoes where I said, come barefoot. I don't care. Just come and pray. I'd led them to Christ. They couldn't read and write. There's poor folks. But they knew God. And I had no, not as much sense as I had, and so none of us didn't have much sense as what I had. And I got them to really come. They come down there, and we started the prayer meeting. At 9 o'clock, somebody prayed to 10, somebody prayed to 10, prayed to 11, 11, 12, all the way around the clock. Then we got somebody else, 9, 30, 10, 30. 
Jesus in six nights. Oh, 48 of us. Like they marched around the walls of Jericho six days on the seventh day, they marched around the seventh time. We prayed six days and six nights. Forty-eight people, one hour each around the clock. Not a thing happened. But people come from everywhere. And that when we were going to pray over in that seventh hour, seven hours on the seventh day, they charted buses out of Memphis and Jackson. They were, they'd come in there and run that old mill shed over, run the ground over around it. And we prayed for six hours solid, 48 of them. Not a thing happened. But when that 48 people prayed in the seventh hour, the power of God fell. And folks that hadn't even been in church, some of them hadn't been inside of a religious service in 30 years, fell out of the bed and come up and got saved in their pajamas and gowns. Went through the streets of shouting. It's daylight. I had to come back and preach at my church on Sunday at Myrtle. I got back Sunday evening late. Folks walking the street praying, said, where you been? Said, we needed preachers. Said, folks trying to get saved, nobody to help them. I went back on that mill shed and the meeting broke out that night and lasted 39 hours without stopping. 162 got saved. And that night, Mildred Rumblow, the daughter of one of the leaders in the Baptist church there, he, Mr. Brumlow, he was a big department store owner. His, his and society, their 16-year-old daughter came up there and to the service and got under condition, got saved, went home and told her daddy. He got out of the bed and took his belt out of his pants and whipped her to with the, with the buckle in until she's bleeding all over for going up there. But she went on the bed, sweet about it, because she's saved, she wasn't going to fuss. Next morning, he went and opened up his department store, and God is in there with him. He couldn't wait on the customer, and he couldn't tell his clerks what to do. About 10 o'clock, he turned the key on the door, said, you clerks, get out of here, and everybody else, I got to go up there, that, that meal shed and see that preacher. He got up there, and he stopped at his house and called his daughter in and apologized for whipping her, said, pray for you, daddy, I need what you got last night. She got him down, got her arm around him, and her mother came in there and got her around the neck. They both got saved at the same time. She went out the back door shouting. He went out the front door shouting. And I well will forget he come to the mill shed shouting. He smoked and he had a package of uh, cigarettes and some matches in his pant pocket. He was shouting and beating his leg and set his britches apart. I had to catch him and put him out. <laughs> but when he went out there shouting, the old infidel's son was running. He was firing the boiler for the cotton mill across the road. He pulled the emergency whistle. Mr. Hannah said, what's the matter, Webb? Said, too much religion in town. Said, this thing will blow up and blow us all in hell. Said, I'm leaving town. I shut her off. He said, well, we got to, we got to gin this bill of cotton. It's just half of it. Said, let her sprout in the gin saws. I'm going now. He left town. They didn't finish ginning. By 2 o'clock at evening, every store, every filling station, every cafe, every, everything in town closed down. Through freight train, Jim and old railroad come through there, and God stopped that freight train. Everything stopped. Another fellow had an egg factory, and he said, I'll follow you if you take out and go to that mess, I'll follow you. But that evening, he walked up and pulled the emergency whistle, called to over 200 employees, and said, you off till this thing closed for a month. I ain't going to run this machine. Said, it'll blow up and kill me and all the rest of it. Go to meeting if you want to. And I was up four miles up the road was a big dance hall taking in seven and eight hundred dollars a night, bunch of cabins, a mixed bathing pond, and a liquor lounge. And Joe Baker running. He come down there and sent word up. I said, that preacher, tell that preacher, if he says anything about my priest tonight, I'm going to kill him. I got the gun to do it. And when time time preached, that's what God wants me to preach on, is that kind of place. <laughs> and I got up and preached on it. 
He got his gun and tried to shoot and God wouldn't let it fire. He threw the gun down and fell in the altar kicking and hollering. I got down and prayed for him. God saved him. He jumped up and went back to seat and I got up to finish my sermon. He said, wait a minute, preacher. I said, what now, Joe? He said, come to my place and hold one like this when you get through with you. I said, I'm on the way. When it was closed out there and moved up there in this dance hall, 82 got saved up there, tore the dance hall down, built a Baptist church, took the swimming pool and made a baptistry out of it, took the liquor house and made a pastor out of it, and deacon in the church. Why? Because these barefooted people that couldn't read the right that God saved prayed six days and nights and seven days. That's why God answered them. That's why God did it. Mayfield, Kentucky. I said this. I had the same thing to happen. Went there and tried to have a meeting in, on, on First Street, Mayfield, Kentucky. Prayed and preached and wasn't getting anywhere. And we started the prayer meeting around the clock. On the seventh night, the power of God fell about five o'clock in the morning. And the liquor crowd, and the beer crowd, and nightclub crowd, they called the police, said, come down here and run this bunch of wild fools a hollering and a hooping, running up and down the street in their pajamas and gowns. What it was, God had saved a bunch of them, got them out of those places, got them out of their beds, and going them out there and saved them. And they were shouting. Said, stop them, they're waking us up. Well, it's already awake, they tell a lie. But the chief, the chief sent a, police car down there but when it came down Broadway Street to turn in on First Street the car wouldn't turn it just went on <laughs> and as a result the other police said there's the street said yeah but it wouldn't turn in said no you're chicken said you drive it another police got on and tried to drive it in and it wouldn't go they come back and now Chief Hughes told me this if he lied it's all I know the chief of police told me said they come back and I give him a cussing he's an awful old chief Said, I got in there, and I drove it down there and said, I tried to turn it in, and it just went on and said, I took a rigger, scared me so bad. Said, I said, fellas, we can get this thing back to the police station. It'll set that in broad daylight. I'm not going down there. Let them have it. And that town got shook, and five Baptist churches standing in Mayfield today as a result of that meeting. Come out of that folks got saved and started a church here and a church there and a church there and a church there. Five Baptist churches as a result of that meeting. Why? Folks prayed for a week, day and night, until God moved in there and did it. My father did that. I didn't do it. The people did it because they called on God. That's it. I lived there in short. Same God that moved through the years. Let me give you one other. I was over at Columbus, Kentucky. And a wicked town. G.L. Stevens pastor of every church. And there wasn't but one man to go to church over there. And he belonged to the Christian church. He's a real old man. He said, you ought to get persuaded to come over here and hold a meeting in the tent. And Brother Stephen called me. I went over there in the tent and the churchyard wasn't big enough for me to stretch a tent on. I had a tent 50 by 80. And they picked up a two-horse wagon bed full of lip, liquor bottles, empty liquor bottles, off of that little space. So we went out to the schoolhouse yard and put the tent up. Folks come from everywhere. Hey, through curiosity, they come. They filled the tent. I preached, I prayed, I cried, I preached, I prayed. The crowds got bigger and bigger, but nobody's moving. Nobody's breaking over. I called me different people that would pray with me. And then finally I called them and asked them to fast and pray. Then I sent out some SOS. I said, sacrifice. Really pray. Sacrifice, it's an emergency. And pray. Do without food and pray till I warn you, notify you that it's broken. And people all over America that I knew, praying friends, begin to pray, begin to call on God. And the crowds grow bigger, but they wouldn't break. And I begin to fast and pray day and night. And I preached that next night. 
when I gave invitation, a man run in from one side of the tent and fell in my arm. Pulled me down on my knees and said, pray for me. I want to get saved. He is the ringleader of the liquor crowd of that county. He got saved. Man run in from the other side, got in my arm and fell down, got saved, and he's the ringleader of the gamblers of Carlisle County. He got saved. That's all got there that night. But those two men went out the next day witnessing those liquor joints and gambling dens, and by 3 o'clock that evening, that whole county was in a roar, uproar, threatening to burn, kill me, and roll me in the tent and burn me that night. And they got out and made $25, took up 25 silver dollars, and went over in the island of the Mississippi River. If you know where Columbus is, Columbus is sitting here on the bank, and out there's the Mississippi River. And out there's the island. They showed an old river rat that was 25 silver dollars, said, if you go over and kill that preacher and roll him up in that tent and burn him, we'll give you this 25 silver dollars. Well, he didn't have respect for nobody. He wanted the money. And the news got out. The marshal of the town came and said, Mr. Ray, you better get your equipment and get out of here before sundown. They're going to kill you and roll you in the tent and burn you. I said, aren't you the law? said, what can the law do with the mob? I said, well, call the sheriff and get the army if it's necessary. said, I ain't fooling with them. They'll kill you. said, I've told you now, if you won't get burned up. I said, you go back and tell that crowd, if they burn me, my ashes will preach to them until Jesus come. I ain't a-leaving. Go on, tell them. He said, you fool, they'll get you. 7.30 come, not a soul come on the ground. People had heard it everywhere. Scared of them. They believed it's going to happen. I walked to the door of the tent, looked out, and there nobody coming. I was standing there waiting for 7.30. It's about 7.20. And here come those two men. They run up to me and said, Preacher, they, they're going to kill you and burn you. But we've come to tell you we got saved last night and we love you so much we're going to die by the side of you. Our blood will run in the same puddle of yours. I said, no, no, get out of here. You stay to tell the story and let me be the one that dies for Jesus. You just tell the story of what happened. I said, no, if you die, we're going to die by the side of you. I said, please stay here to tell the story. I said, no, do that. And they said, you don't care if we pray, do you? I said, no, pray all you want to. They run over in the corner of that tent and got on their knees. I never heard two old sinners just saved the day before, pray like they prayed. Now, stirred up me. I run over and dropped down to them. And I would pull their heads up against my head, and all three of them cugged up there. And we were praying and crying to God. And all of a sudden, God touched me and said, Get up and see the salvation of the Lord. I shook them. I said, Stop praying. Get in the door and see the salvation of the Lord. And we dropped them standing in the Lord. And the boat started with that old man. Here it comes. They said, there it comes, preacher. I said, yeah. God said, see his salvation. I said, watch, boys. You'll see something. I don't know what. Got about three-fourths across the river. There's a cloud about as big as the roof of this building. It turned green as grass and formed a funnel shape. And the tip of it hit that boat and poured that fellow out, blowed it up against that bluff, and broke it all to pieces. And there's an old elm tree of three and a half foot in diameter, twisted it off, dropped it on the liquor joint where they'd made that, that money, mashed it to the ground, come up that bluff and jumped my tent and hit the ground on the side and looked like you'd run bulldozers through the country, pushing houses and forests down. And about 20 minutes, we didn't have the tent full. We had the whole yard full of people crying for the mercy of God. Old Marion Dodson gave the first $5, had me run out. He come there, fell at my feet, great big old boy, bigger than Charles, taller than Charles, or stronger than Charles, big fellow. He <laughs> fell down and just kissing my feet, said, don't let me go to hell. I was one start this, don't let me go to hell. I got out and prayed for him, God saved him. He backed me up like I was a baby and run all over the yard shouting with me in his arms. <laughs> Then they come and said, Mr. Austin owns a liquor store. Won't you down there at the liquor store? He won't see you. He can't get up here. He's down. 
They said, go down there. He'll kill you. He's got his gun. I said, I'm gone. And I went down there, and he's laying on the front of the store on the street, kicking like a dog had been hit. He said, preacher, pray for me. I'm going to hell. Pray for me. I'm going to hell. I got on knees and prayed, and God saved him. And he got up and went in there and picked up his phone and called the liquor. The student said, come and get the liquor if you want it. I just got saved, and I'm going to sell no more, and I'll pour it all in the river before daylight if you don't come get it right now. I'm through. And they went in there and got them 25 silver dollars and gave them to me. He said, here's the money we's going to pay that fella to kill you. You take it and go for God with it. And the close of that meeting, G.L. Stevens baptized 165 people over 60 years old in the Mississippi River. And they built a, and didn't have nothing, to, just a, no shotgun auditorium. And I started with that $25, and they gave a lot of money to close the meeting and build a Sunday school plant. And a few months after that, they wanted me to come up and preach a dedication sermon, and I did, and preached it. And after it was over with, this first fellow got saved, called me back to the Sunday school room and said, come back here. We got on there, and we prayed. He said, Mr. Ray, my daddy is the wickedest man in this country. And my six buddies I run in all my life, they've cussed me and make fun of me. They're going to hell and they won't listen to me. And he got out and prayed and I prayed and we cried and prayed. Finally he said, God, if it takes my life to get my daddy and these six men saved, take it soon. Don't let them go to hell. And I got out and started home. Brother Stephen said, what's that boy talking to you about? I said to him, his daddy and them six men he run with. said, I'm so glad you talked to him. It's about to run him crazy about them. said, I'm glad you prayed with him. That'll help him. Three months rolled by and the phone rang. said, this is G.L. Stevens. Elsie, that's his name. In an explosion last night, or night before last, and killed him. Burned up. The only thing he said when they pulled him out, they understood him, said, get Pastor Ray, preach funeral. He understands. Said, you know what he's talking about? I said, yes, don't bear him till I get there. Said, well, we got the funeral set. And I said, I don't know if I can get there or not. If I get connection, I'll be there, but don't bear him. Have, a, have an extra song, have an extra long prayer, have anything, but don't put him in the ground till I'm there. Well, I got there a little late. The church is full of folks. The yard is full of folks. I got there about 20 minutes late, but they hadn't dismissed. And they had to put me in the window by the pulpit. And I got in there, and when I get in the pulpit, you know who I saw? That daddy. Every seat is taken. It's lined up around the walls, and it's lined up around the church. And those six men, those pallbearers, I said, I didn't come to preach this boy's funeral. It's done preached. I come to preach to you, Daddy. I come to preach to you, gentlemen. I preached Jesus to them. I preached him to them. And let them know that his body was here because of them. And I got through. I said, funeral home director, you can take charge. Getting late and couldn't open them in. And he just rolled him out and put him in the hearse and started out to Beach Grove Cemetery, Country Cemetery, eight miles out. The father came to me and said, I can't follow her out there until I get right of God. I said, the hearse is already gone. You'll have to follow. I'll see you in the cemetery. Got out there and everybody's getting out of the cars and the funeral director was hoping in the hearse and started to pull the corpse out. And old man ran up and said, sir, if you're in a hurry to bury my boy, just sit him there on the ground till I get some things settled. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rush. said, I don't mean you're rushing. I just got to settle some things. He turned around and said, Preacher Ray, I can't let him go through that graveyard gate till I'm saved. I got down there and prayed. God saved him. And I said, and he said, all right, you can bear him now. Open the funeral hearse. The funeral man opened the hearse door, pulled the casket out. Those six men, three on each side, got a hold of the handles. And when the weight of that casket is bearing down on them, they like to drop it. It just went like that. And the man bushed it back. said, what's the matter, you men? 
They said, we're not willing to, able to carry it. We're not worthy. They all left it loose of the casket handles and fell around me at my feet. Said, preacher, tell us how to get saved. There's all saved. Meeting broke out and had to get, go in the country church and light gas lanterns. Nine o'clock that night, we carried him and buried him. But the, the whole crowd had got saved. The six men and the daddy and a lot of kinfolks. Why? He prayed. He prayed to God the Father. That's why. And I can stand here and tell you, 50 more, real and more real than that, because people prayed. I saw a little boy pray his daddy from the whiskey still one night and prayed him to the tent and prayed till he saved and a meeting broke out as a result of it and 69 more got saved and they gave enough money to build a church when there wasn't even any organized out there. Why? Because a little five-year-old boy got burdened about his whiskey-making daddy and prayed and God answered that boy, sent that daddy from the woods to, and whiskey still and saved him and touched others. That's my father. That's God. Listen, people, don't discourage. Just keep praying. Jesus said, if you ask, believe him. If you ask, believe him. God will do it. God will do it. God's not dead. God's not gone out of it. Hey, hey, hey. God hasn't changed. He's the same God that's answered all these other prayers. There's many things happening in the Bible that I'd have loved to have been there, but I want to tell you, brother, sister, I've been there when a lot of other things happen. I wish I could take time while I'm here to just tell you I was there when some things happened too. I'd love to have been there when the fellows come out of the fire furnace staff they'd prayed and got in there. I'd love to have been there when old Daniel didn't get any other the lines. And but I've been there when God did some things as miraculous as that. And my friends, God ain't dead. God ain't gonna be hey, hey, God hadn't quit, God hadn't took out. Hey folks, don't be embarrassed, don't give up, just keep praying. God'll send you a revival. He always has. He's not gonna quit now. I better quit before I get started again.